0: One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana The host asked me if I had a nickname Said my friends call me the Dirt King She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast Hey, Dirtbags. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. This week, we've got a conversation I had with my friend Olivia Heffernan. Um, We had it before I left on tour this past fall, and I thought I was going to be able to get the podcast up and running again before I left on tour, while on tour, and you know the whole story. And so I'm just happy to finally be releasing this episode and this conversation. Olivia's a journalist, a documentary filmmaker, just all around just very interesting person i had a great time having this conversation and every conversation we've had before or after this specific one has always just been super enlightening and kind of very life affirming so i always really enjoy speaking with her so please stick around for the whole thing and if you want to support the show the best way to do that is over at patreon you can go to patreon.com forward slash charles ellsworth and over there you can sign up to for as little as three dollars a month or whatever you decide to contribute each month And kind of help us keep the lights on and keep me on the road. And what you get in exchange for that is kind of a behind-the-scenes look at how all the things work. And you get access to um, content early, like new songs that I've been working on or music videos behind the scenes, things like that. Little write-ups about just how crazy my week was and... I just got to kind of vent. You get access to that. People are telling me all the time when I'm on the road on the internet that I live a pretty interesting life and that they're, they're intrigued by it. And so if that happens to be you and how you feel about it and you want to support the show and get a better look at what it's like to live my life, go to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth and sign up for as little as $3 a month. And it's greatly appreciated. It makes a big difference in my life and, uh, yeah, if everybody that listened to the show, if, if we could get a percentage of everyone that listened to the show or listen to my music on Spotify to head on over there and, and sign up for $3 a month, I'd probably be able to just put out the next record without having to do any fundraising, which would be great. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth and sign up today. If you're in a position right now where you can't afford to... To sign up for a few bucks every month, don't even worry about that. I totally understand. You don't get the nickname the Dirtbag King without being broke every once in a while. So I totally understand. There's lots of ways you can help us out and help me out without spending any money. Uh, whatever service you're listening to this podcast on right now, if you want to give us a rating and subscribe to the podcast, it makes a big difference for us and helps us get uh, out there to more and more listeners. Another thing you can do is you can check out my music wherever you listen to music. Just look for Charles Ellsworth, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, whatever you use to listen to music, Bandcamp, especially Bandcamp. Search for Charles Ellsworth and you can listen to my music. And if you like anything, add it to a playlist to share it with a friend. It makes a big difference for me and it's really not that big of a deal or, or too hard for you. So please do that. Do those things. Like, subscribe, find us on the internet. So here it is. I've got my friend Olivia Heffernan here uh, to talk with me about her life on the road. Um, how you doing, Olivia?
1: Good. Thanks for having me on today, Chuck. I appreciate it. Uh, Very much not on the road as of today. I've been knocked out with a cold, hence my raspy, yet perhaps sultry um, voice. So I've been in bed for the last 40 hours. Excuse any uh, coughs that may be coming your way. Not COVID related.
0: They are pre-excused. Thank you. And uh, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. Um, I really wanted to just kind of start off kind of early on, like where... You told me you have a very, had a very interesting upbringing or unconventional. What, tell me about, uh, growing up.
1: Yeah. Um, I did not grow up in, in the U.S. um, I was however born in, in upstate New York, which is where my grandparents were based, uh, throughout my childhood. Um, my parents were living in Khartoum, Sudan, when I was born and they have, uh, traditionally been in human rights and refugee resettlement work. So uh, we were living there, and they were helping refugees of the Ethiopian-Eritrean War. And then we moved up to Croatia during the Bosnian War, and we were living in in Zagreb. Croatian was actually my first language. Um, I keep hoping that somewhere in the subsets of my subconscious it exists. Mm -hmm. I've yet to be able to manifest it. Um, And then we were in in dc for a little bit and then we were in um south america and in guyana famous for um jim jones and the kool-aid we were not part of a cult (laughs) um Um, but we were in uh in that same country where that happened and then um and then dc onwards and i went to public school in dc and and lived in dc proper not to be mistaken with maryland and virginia (laughs) (laughs) um so you could say that uh I, yes, had somewhat of an unconventional childhood and also was um, raised in a way that um, the principles of of human rights work, of um, just like uh, a lot of ethics were imbued into the way that I was raised. We sort of strayed from any type of very commercialized activity and never went to a Six Flags or um, had cable TV or anything so had to find other methods to entertain myself, which uh, led to a much more dorky childhood than I'd like to admit but um, has definitely impacted who I am and, and what I do today.
0: that's that's very cool. super unconventional, super interesting and uh, um, something that like really inspired the idea behind this podcast is um, just like how much my world has been, broadened by the traveling I've done mostly through music and um super grateful for that and I've also you know as a kid got to travel um at least within the United States quite a bit and that exposure to other cultures and ways of life is I think kind of in some ways like the skeleton key to like how we kind of all figure out how to how to get along and in for lack of a better overarching term but being raised the way you were and, and with all the different experiences, uh, like how, I guess I'm trying to figure out what the question is. Like, how would you, like when you started going to school in DC, did you notice, like, were you old enough to notice a huge difference between like how some of your peers saw the world hmm. and what their experience was like?
1: Yeah. I think when, Um, I spent a little time trying to catch up with American culture, Uh, so examples are getting really into Pokemon, um, and I didn't have a Game Boy, so I would physically play the card game. Um, I'd have my mother drive me to the nearest mall, and I would be the only, like, under 15-year-old and girl there, (laughs) (laughs) or being a little late to, like, the Avril Lavigne game, but, you know, still taking a Sharpie to the tips of my blonde hair. So there was a little while that I spent trying to overcompensate, perhaps, for what I miss. Read Harry Potter way later than most people, all of that stuff. Um, I don't remember anything that like necessarily really stands out. I think that um, the way that I've always lived my life is, is one in which I don't necessarily associate home with a geographical location as much as I do where my family is. Mm. Um, and so that perhaps was different, and I think... Um, I did, I did have a little bit more of a, mm, open, I, and I, I'm not going to say less sheltered because I definitely was sheltered by two very caring parents. Um, but I had seen most, more than most 11 year olds had. And I think that that, um, wasn't necessarily translated explicitly in, in the ways that I acted or spoke or made decisions, but was definitely something that, followed me, um, and impacted the way that I carried myself. I think that I've always had a strong sense of, um, who I was and where I wanted to go, and maybe that was because my environment was often changing, and the people around me were often different, um, and it was important for me to find something that was certain, um, And I think that I was raised in a way that I was very aware of a lot of the inequalities and violence that was going on in in the world. And so for me, it was really important to find something that I wanted to do that would remediate that. Um, And I felt that way since I was super young. Um, And so I I would say that might have set me apart from, from some of the younger people. But Uh, it doesn't mean that I didn't, you know, love Avril and yeah, swept up and all that stuff, too
0: Yeah, well, I mean a teenager is a teenager, you know, and I don't think it um You know like culture definitely or like the culture that you're like surrounded by or swimming in obviously will Like influence that but like I think teenage angst is universal like I think uh I mean so many things are absolutely universal and what's unfortunate is The sheltered upbringing of a lot a lot of people um, and to reuse a word you used, um, is what like makes us feel like it's not universal or like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's all, it's all human. And, um, where I grew up was very, it was very, uh, um, closed minded, I guess, for lack of a better term is, uh, like you were either influenced by your religion or your very small tribe of people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, which is like really unfortunate because, um, like I grew up, like in very close proximity to the Apache Reservation and the Navajo Reservation, and then also with a lot of, um, like Mexican immigrants in our community. And but it was almost like, completely, segregated in a lot of ways, other than at the schools. And uh, um, I, I I don't know, like when when you're growing up and your parents are working with refugees and. It, like how close and you're aware of the violence that you mentioned around the world and like how in proximity to any of that were you or were you just uh like do you can you remember anything specific that like really influenced your your young mind
1: um yeah actually and it's relevant now as we're all talking about afghanistan uh, in the early 2000s, my father was doing some work in Afghanistan and he uh, discovered a mass grave there. Oh, wow. And um, I remember him being gone for almost a month and at that time, we didn't really have cell phones. He had somewhat of like a satellite thing where he could send messages and and call very intermittently. Um, and I remember being worried because I was aware of what was going on, Um, and that my parents had taught me what landmines were, and Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, And so, I didn't, I do remember knowing what was going on in that region at that time, and that my father was there, and that when he returned, he told me what he had found. And, um, yeah, so that wasn't like I was physically there, but there was definitely that proximity to it. when we were in sudan and croatia that was uh i was way too young to even know i mean Mm -hmm. i was we i barely spent any time in sudan so um and then croatia i was just a baby i don't have any recollection of it um it was more through the the anecdotes that my my parents would share as i was growing up Um, but i think what was interesting is that despite seeing all of these different facets of life um you're able to see a universality in all of it, and maybe that's, you know, it exists in in your hometown in Arizona. It exists in these places that we've all traveled to, exists here in Brooklyn, and I found that in D.C. too, Um, and I think that I was very obsessed with this idea of international human rights and following a um, a similar trajectory as my parents, and I think living in D.C. and going to a big public school taught me that a lot of that type of violence some of those human rights abuses certainly the inequality um And racism that you saw in other countries very much existed at home as well Mm -hmm. and that's when I took a very purposeful shift to um, Examine some of the inequities that exist domestically Mm -hmm. um and felt like we use words like Genocide or human rights abuses for anything other than this country. Yeah. They're reserved for the quote-unquote third world, which we're not supposed to say anymore thankfully yeah. um, Or developing countries, which I also take issue with um, And then we use words that kind of it. here. We use words like immigrant rights women's rights LBG 2QI plus rights and it's like well, those are all human, rights. all human rights. Yeah, why don't we just talk about it the same way that we would? Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: no, that's uh, that's it's insane. What or not insane, but like like, what like language, how how much that affects things and how like, um, I mean, we could go on and on about like pro choice versus pro versus pro life. It's yeah. like they, you know, one sounds way better.
1: Right, it's not um, just semantics. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, really, it, it, one sounds way better. It I don't personally think it is, but um, yeah, it's. It, that must have been such a, um, I don't know, such a unique experience to have been um, exposed to so much as far as like my, my ideas of like human rights. I I didn't understand that as a concept fully until maybe I was like late high school. Mm -hmm. Like I understood all these atrocities that had happened. And I I remember as a kid watching Disney's Pocahontas and being like, this is kind of fucked up. (laughs) Like, and you're, but like you being able to vocalize that i think was actually by design that i wasn't able to vocalize or talk about it because because of public school and because of uh the world i was raised in yeah and uh i guess what i'm what i'm getting at is like you you now from what i understand a lot of what you write about is like workers rights and human rights and things like that and that um it's so at what age did you you said that you started to like change your trajectory or where you were trying to go and what you wanted to write about um what age was that where you kind of made that conscious decision
1: i think when it became super clear to me was the night that trump was elected which might have been what happened to a lot of people Mm -hmm. um and that to me was like there is a Very serious crisis going on in our country the Uh day that someone like this can be elected into a presidency Um And and that for me was when I decided I'd like to very much focus on whatever the fuck is going on here Mm -hmm. um
0: And before that were you writing about more international things or
1: uh, yeah, yeah, I because we in college I studied international relations and philosophy I was a double major and Mm. then the work that I did after that was more international-focused. Um, and I went to graduate school thinking that I would do more IR things, specifically international human rights law, and starting grad school coincided with Trump's election. Oh, gotcha. Um, and so that's when I sort of pivoted and I started working for the Marshall Project that reports exclusively on criminal justice in the U.S. and uh, produced a documentary series for them there, and it kind of dominoed um, from there. But I, I will say that um, a lot of a lot of my reason for being in this work is something that you said earlier, which is language, the way that we, the words that we use, um, how we either emphasize them or not, um, to me means everything. Mm-hmm like word word choice is the most powerful asset that we have and it also is like the world's equalizer because we all have our words Mm -hmm. some are more loud or more easily heard than others but um to me it's a it's a platform through which we can all express ourselves and that's a beautiful thing um it's universal the reason why i do what i do is that i'd like to be a conduit for for people's words or expression that wouldn't otherwise um, have a platform to do so okay, and so yeah. with my writing I very purposely don't write um, in a way that is like distinctive to me or is flowery by any means I I write in a way that is like accessible and I don't want to say plain but like kind of um, mm-hmm. because the idea is that like I am trying to transmit information that someone else has given to me mm-hmm. and that's sort of it. Anyways, I got off on a tangent from no, the I original question. No, I love it. Question. This, this is what podcasts are for: <laughs> tangents yeah. and
0: getting nerdy and <laughs> right, really deep into things. And I think, um, but so, the
1: answer was Trump. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> for your uh, question. Was, why I, I decided to move to the U.S. Yeah, it was it was Trump.
0: Where were you before that?
1: Um, I, w- I was in Oakland. I was living in Oakland when Trump was oh, okay elected. Um. And had just gotten into Columbia's School of International and Public Affairs. Oh, okay. Um, and so... And I accepted and kind of had this, like, existential crisis of, like, oh, I, I can't go to this ivory tower and be all esoteric with my books at Columbia when it feels like this country is falling apart. Um just
0: falling out from underneath us. Yeah. Yeah, I...
1: Where were you when he was elected? See, this, oh. like, the night that Trump was <laughs> elected... Like
0: my answer. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, it's not that it's a bad answer. It's actually quite
1: funny. The night that he was elected, to me, is, like, similar. Where were you when we landed on the moon? Where were yeah. you when Twin Towers? Where were you when JFK was assassinated? Where were you when Trump was elected? Yeah. It's one of those nights that you just never forget.
0: No, and I. what's funny is I was just thinking about earlier today that the day Biden was elected, I, I saw you. Oh, yeah. And everyone, we were at Fort mm-hmm. Greene Park and like i I was riding my bike and like three blocks from the park i couldn't ride my bike anymore because people were just dancing in the streets like driving a car down that street not happening yeah no uh which is like which is great and like i have definitely plenty of issues with joe biden but that was a big a good day it was um when i was so uh the 2016 election um I was I was on mushrooms <laughs> with my brother and my friend Aaron. We were. uh,
1: I take no issue with that.
0: I guess yeah. I guess it's. I mean, it's just like such a because it it's such a like a Brooklyn liberal thing to have done uh-huh. in a way. And like I don't identify with the word liberal anymore, but then I probably would have mm-hmm. um, just as more of a way to stick it to like the people I grew up around. Right. And now I'm like. I'm not trying to stick to them any more than like the rest of the whole system is trying to stick to the establishment. To them. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I see so much more of like our shared, um, our collective fight against authoritarianism and capitalism and so many different things, just oppressing of like working people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I was just, thought, I was like, well, Hillary Clinton's obviously going to win this election. You guys want to, how do you feel about like doing mushrooms the night of the election? And we're like, yeah, that's going to be fucking great. And we're, we like walked from my place in bed to Williamsburg. Like we had taken them in at my place in uh, Bed-Stuy and we're walking up there. And I was like, let's just walk across the Williamsburg bridge. And, uh, and then maybe we'll make our way back or whatever. You know, it's just like a fun little mushroom trip. And, uh, by the time we got to the Williamsburg Bridge, it just wasn't, it wasn't looking good. Mm-hmm. It was like, I remember we smoked a joint on the bridge and were um, looking at the numbers and I was just like, like, you know, very much on mushrooms and very much like, I want to go home. Mm-hmm. And like, we turned around and went home and then I got to the, my house and like my other roommates were watching the coverage or whatnot. And, and I was just like, I, I gotta go to bed. This is just a bad dream this is like a, it's just a bad dream. And I I woke up the next morning and it was like very much not a dream. Yeah. And, uh, it was, I mean, I feel like in some ways I was radicalized much earlier than that. Um, and I, for like a whole mess of reasons, but, um, that really solidified in a like, like, okay, it's time to like kind of own your shit. It's kind of time to, um, like, this thing, privilege, that you've been, like, at that specific time, I had, like, it was, like, I had been really exploring that as a concept for the past year or so, because that was, like, kind of a new hot button topic for me that really kind of hit home, is, like, oh, I, because I, because it, when I first heard it, it really pissed me off, because mm-hmm. it's, like, I come from, I'm not gonna say nothing, but, like, I come from people who work really, really fucking hard, yeah. and don't have very much, and uh, that's kind of how I felt about it, and it's, like, fuck you, I have privilege fuck off like Mm -hmm. you know and uh and then you start to pay more attention to what that actually means and um you know long story short though it's like it just it's just like a long way or how far i've come from even that night you know i think 2012 is more when i started to become much more of a leftist whether i knew it or not yeah and that was because I watched my parents lose everything in the housing market crash. Mm -hmm. Like, between 2008 and 2012, they lost everything. My stepdad got laid off from a job of 30 years at a paper mill, and here's three-month severance. Good luck, you know? And, like, their house went from being worth, like, being their most valuable asset to being worthless overnight. Yeah. You know, And, uh, and then, but I just sat there and also watched them Blame all the wrong people and like mm. blame Obama and blame, you know, and, and stuff like that and, and it's like Oh, you're angry and you have every right to be angry But the system and everyone around you is telling you that you're to be, what to be angry at and it's the wrong thing. Yeah, Yeah um And I so So I guess what i'm getting at is language is so very important mm-hmm. Because of that. Yeah, because in like when you say that you you try not to write You say plain, but it's like you're actually communicating a point. You're not communicating a bias. Yeah and I think that's so valuable. It's invaluable,
1: right? Or, yeah, not a, or a personality. You know, like this isn't. This isn't about me. This is about like a, a message. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I think that I think that my radicalization was kind of part of who I was all all along. When I say two thousand sixteen, it was more that I made a very conscious decision that my work was going to focus on the U.S. and Uh and not abroad. Um, Definitely before that, I was, uh, you know, at some points feeling like I was just looking for any protest to go to, which I also take a little bit of an issue with. Um, I do think, like, this idea of when you're angry, displacing blame is what is natural. Like, that's Mm -hmm. very human. And you want to point at something that feels easy and um, Can be eliminated like a president because they're only there for four years, maybe eight And so I think we often do that because it's much harder to point to the system which undergirds all of us Yeah, and it's like we're not gonna so we're going to have to upend an entire economic system. It's just easier to be mad at Obama. you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and I think we misplace that a lot. And I do think this last two years, we've really had more of a reckoning, certainly racially, about, about displacing blame into an entire system and country's history rather than just one. These are not one-off isolated events anymore. Yeah, um, and they never so. were, for that matter. And for that i'm i'm so grateful and i think that it really took language in having words to be able to identify that you know it's like we used to not have a word for depression and therefore we had no focus on mental health now we know things like what does depression mean and Mm -hmm. once you can name something you can actually start to work to undo it
0: it's mentionable it's manageable exactly
1: Yeah, yeah yeah but that type of amorphous thing where you just kind of feel like you're grabbing at at air Mm -hmm. even I remember being in high school and maybe college and hearing people using the words like looting and rioting and feeling like there's something not right about this Mm -hmm. you know and a a lot of a lot of words it's about the connotation as well and who you think of when about when you think of quote-unquote rioting and looting.
0: Yeah, very much so.
1: And what comes with that? And I do think that yeah, these last 2 years um I'd like to think that people have made a very concerted effort to um you know, not call people who are undocumented aliens, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Um or to stop calling things the informal co- economy. It's people who are in the excluded economy. They don't want to be in the informal economy. It's just that the system won't let them, you know, be full-time workers um, uh,
0: could you could you actually just expand on informal versus like economy like that's a yeah I, I can kind of put together what that term means but like i i'm not familiar with that at all
1: yeah so something that i've been writing about more recently throughout the pandemic are um are workers who, in New York specifically, who work in what we call, quote-unquote, the informal economy. And we're trying to shift that to calling it the excluded economy, excluded workers' economy. Informal economy basically means you're not, I mean, it literally means your work is not formalized. So you don't really have a contract. Um, You don't need to give your social security number to have a job. So de facto, it's a lot of undocumented folks who work in it. So it's contracted labor. It's day labor. You Mm -hmm. work on a construction site for... A day, a couple of weeks, you go and clean someone's home, um, you work a street vendor, you work for Uber Eats as a delivery worker. Mm-hmm. Um, that type of job that can kind of come and go and that by design, by the system's design, you can never be a full-time employee of these mm-hmm. um, industries. And that's on purpose because it yeah. means the employers just do not, don't have to give you paid time off. There's mm-hmm. no overtime pay. No day of rest, no collective bargaining rights, no unionization, uh, no benefits, and they get away with a lot. And so, yeah, totally, those are that's the, kind the of the
0: restaurant industry could kind of fit into that as well. Totally. Even though I do like all the time I spent bartending, and I apologize for cutting no. off, but all the time I spent bartending, I, I, I gave my social security number and everything like that. But like I've never had a day of paid vacation in my mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. Um, and I've. I've held up to three or four jobs at a time, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's, that's also by design. That's why I have to have three or four jobs right? is, yeah, because.
1: And you're probably working more than a normal full-time employee, but you're not getting the benefits that come with that. No, You're not getting no. health insurance or
0: I just have got health insurance this year for the first time because I didn't make any money last year. Yeah. So I'm on Medicare. Yeah. And so I'm like, "Oh, time to catch up because I've been off of insurance since I was like 24 years old." Right. So like time to be like, "Oh, what's that weird clicking in my ankle?" <laughs> you know, things like that yeah. cuz I mean, yeah.
1: Hey, well, PSA to New Yorkers, the New York healthcare system is actually the P- Medicare is pretty good.
0: No, I'm very when I got approved, I was like
1: It's Wait, amazing. I yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to, I'm actually kind of bummed that tours like happening as soon as it is because there's like a few more appointments I mm-hmm. was hoping to squeeze in before I leave. But, you know, I've got a whole year of this. So.
1: Tell me how um, word choice and language factors into the music that you write.
0: Oh, I, uh, um, man, I, this is, so like for the longest time, I consider myself way more of a songwriter than a musician. Um, and I think part of that was because I didn't feel like I was a very good musician because there's people who are like Mozart, who's like just a savant at six Wait, years old. who? Huh? Mazarta? Uh, but there's that, but I always thought that I could put like words and melody together mm. exceptionally or like better than a lot of people. And, uh, but then that would come down to like, I, I'm trying to, uh, think of it like i have i have songs my i have a song called in my thoughts that is written all you and i you and i instead of like they or her um and it's and it becomes very very personal and it's like and it was written about a time in my life that was like this specific person and i were kind of i don't even know how to put it but she was distancing herself and i was through a hard time and i was trying to like be like hey I'm here like let me be a part of this and help you through this um and it's a very personal song and I think because of the language I chose it didn't it doesn't get as easily picked up as like uh like you have to listen to it multiple times to really like have the effect hit you I guess mm-hmm. then like a pop song would have just used the word she I think right Maybe. And I I don't know if that really fits into your... um...
1: You're not writing music for TikTok, and that's a good thing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but also, is it? (laughs) You know, play to the crowd that's in front of you, and there's a lot of people on TikTok. But uh, no, that's like one specific thing that I think about a lot, or just like when I am writing, especially on my new record, it was so much like obsessive of like... I was so upset about previous records, not like listening back and being like, Oh, I should've used this word instead of mm-hmm. that or, or whatever, and now like fine tooth comb like going over it over and over and over again. Um I think that's I don't know if it's is if it's as important as like in your work, um but because I 'cause I'm just writing about the time like a girl broke my heart or whatever. <laughs> um but I think pop music I read somewhere Paul, Paul Simon said that like to write good pop music, you want to say as much as possible with, or you want to say exactly what you want to say with saying, using as little words as possible.
1: I would say the same thing about writing.
0: Yeah. No, I guess that's uh, a. Yeah.
1: Being concise is probably the hardest thing to do. I I actually, I mean, I think your work is extremely important. And I think that one of the similarities that I see bet- between writing and, and music is that one the privatization of both um i've all i always saw books and good journalism and good music as a public good that should Mm -hmm. be accessible to everyone there are paywalls to everything now and yet despite that paywall they've also kind of fallen into this sort of ubiquitous arena i think where words books pages kindles the new york times on your laptop it's always on the background spotify is always playing some type of lo-fi beat (laughs) it's kind of always there to the point that i'm not sure we appreciate it in the same way
0: totally Um, i just had this conversation with my friend peter wagner who plays under the name furrows uh and uh i was like the problem is because he was like dude spotify is ruining music and i'm like yeah and um but it's not specifically spotify's fault i think a lot of the people using it are like essentially what they've created is a public utility um, where it's like when I turn my faucet on I want to be able to fill up a water bottle and Mm -hmm. I want it to cost me less than 10 cents right right. Um, that's what Spotify is the problem is it cost me $10,000 to make a record but when that you turn the faucet on and you pay 5 cents for it like how do I ever make back that $10,000 yeah um you know, and that that's uh, and so it's like, do we start offering public grants like like in Canada or certain places where the arts are much more subsidized? Mm-hmm. Or do we cause the consumers to pay more for music because they're not going to.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Spotify is not going to charge more than what they're charging unless it means paying their shareholders more, not right. so they can pay me more. Right. Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah where does it like so yeah i think my buddy peter's right it's like you either play by like we'll all keep playing by their rules until everybody's just making lo-fi beats you know and uh, which is
1: background music it's meant to be ignored <laughs>
0: the, the the instrumental music i make that i consider to be nothing but background music makes me way more money on spotify than the music that i spend like months and week just like so much of my time yeah. thinking about whereas like for, like Excuse the crassness, but like I'll just fart out in an instrumental song Mm -hmm. And it'll all of a sudden be making me $50 a month Right. Whereas like songs that I spend a lot of time and effort And then money in creating and marketing and all that stuff And it's like, you know, they might make me I don't know, a few dollars a month
1: Yeah, (laughs) and I, I can't tell whether it's general sort of like Apathy of the public to really seek out quality music and quality writing or whether it's, you know Algorithms where if a title of one of my articles is Involves something a little sensationalized or if it involves like shooting or you know Mm -hmm. Anything with violence people that's clickbait.
0: Yeah, totally. Um based on the articles that I click on uh, It's it's it's
2: true.
1: Yeah, and I can't figure out whether it's that, whether we're so, whether the internet is so algorithmatized, if that's even a word, or rigged, (laughs) that it's impossible to find anything truly original anymore or Mm -hmm. on your own. (laughs) Um, That's why I usually try and go to YouTube for music, (laughs) Um, which, of course, has its own uh, algorithms, I'm sure. Or whether, yeah, people are just kind of like, bored and so they just click on something that's easy to listen to and they don't have to think about same thing applies to books and just like content that we engage with in general in some ways i kind of feel like it's plateaued in in terms of what where the demand is um
0: yeah i think well we're we're all oh man i just like we're all full You know, like, I haven't read a book. I've listened to several audiobooks in the past year, but I haven't read a book in the past year.
1: Mm -hmm. And Um, why do you think that is?
0: Huh? Because I'm, I'm like, I'm full, like, of content, like, I, Mm. and, and it's like, it's not quality, you know, like, I, my neighbor made me a birthday cake this week, and the other night I skipped dinner and just had cake, (laughs) and it was great, but... But like you do that every day, mm-hmm. you're gonna start having some real problems. Yeah. And we as a society are just fucking eating cake all the time. Um, and it's but it's also like when you when you try and blame it on the algorithm or whatnot. And it is, I mean, not saying it isn't the algorithm's fault, but we like yeah, the human race wrote War and Peace, but we're also just like animals. Like like the algorithm's gonna win every single time like like the little red dot on my my notifications that I have like right. something on Instagram is gonna win every single time. And it's like amazing that we are able to write War and Peace or like make a fucking MacBook, you know. But like we're still just programmed to like grab the banana. Yeah. Um, does that? I don't know.
1: No, I I totally agree. I mean, I but I I don't want to believe that there are only a few exceptional humans that create the MacBook or who don't just reach for the banana but reach a little bit higher for something else. Like I like to believe we all have that in us. Yeah. And I think that we do. I mean I think that we now live in a society in which it's very easy not to have to grab very high for things mm-hmm. because it all comes so seamlessly and quickly. Definitely. Um so there's, I don't even feel like I have to reach for a banana because I can click a button and Amazon will deliver it to my door, yeah, it, <laughs> you it know, just shows up. like yeah. there's no banana tree anymore. There's a box with a lot of packaging.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know either. I don't have a question. I mean, I don't have an answer to it. Um, well,
0: and I think it's, I mean, it's all, it's all the soup. My, my friend Genevieve Smith and I talk about this, I think on a way earlier podcast episode, but it's something that like it's like it's it's soup it's all, it's all everything and it's all cooking together at once and, and and it's like there there is no definitive answer and i and i agree with you and I, and i feel the exact same way i really hope that humans are striving for like above just grabbing the banana but also like i don't i don't i don't know like i it's it's hard for me to have a lot of i mean I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's like you're familiar with the the internet concept of black or like red pilling, blue pilling, like like it's it's like the whole uh the Matrix thing. Mm. Like if, if to red pill someone is to make them like a right wing proud boy, blah 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 okay. blah. You know, yeah. it's like what and so. But then there's black pilling, which is like just nihilism, being like fuck it, who gives a shit, fuck it all. You know. <laughs> I and think
1: like, I, I think I was black pilled. <laughs> I
0: I mean I've kind of like I talk about this in therapy about like how I'm. I'm so afraid of that because it's so, it'd be so easy for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm so angry all the time, and, but I don't know exactly what to be angry at. And then I just like, like mid, just like it just came out of me saying it. I'm like, I guess I wouldn't be so angry if I didn't care so much. Mm-hmm. And it was like, then you're not black pilled.
2: Right. right.
1: Then,
0: then, you know, and, and you're then You're feeling
1: it's, something. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. And then, and then that's like, okay, take a step back. Well, then let's start from there. You know, like okay, well then, like appreciate the person who made the MacBook or wrote *War and Peace*, mm-hmm. or, um, and I think that's, like, I'm I'm like ranting, but the taking it all back to Spotify and to to where it the, all comes back to Spotify, it all comes back to some <laughs> Swedish tech bros. Uh, no, the um, what what's actually a possibility now is that in the '70s there was no like middle class musician there was led zeppelin and the guy who like quit writing music to like raise a family Mm -hmm. there's not really a whole lot of in between yeah whereas now like some of my favorite musicians are probably not making they're not making led zeppelin money for sure you know but they're making a living and raising a family on a middle class income right right um do I think Spotify is helping that? No, I think Spotify is kind of getting in the way and creating more obstacles for that. But the overall environment and um, that the Internet has created is this possibility of like you talk to 10 people on the street. 10 of them haven't heard of me, mm. but I pay for about anywhere from a third to two thirds of my income playing music. Yeah, Yeah. So like. I don't know so it's it's good and it's bad and it's everything in between it's the soup it's it's, it it's all of it
1: yeah yeah I mean I find it interesting that even uh, now on and then we should just stop talking about Spotify because I feel <laughs> like we're just feeding the fire um, language how yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and and similar with the articles I write you can't publish anything without like photos to accompany it. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of what brought me into the documentary world was that less and less people are reading New Yorker length articles, which is a style of writing that I like to do, is long form investigative journalism. We don't have the patience for that anymore. That's why the soundbite that you hear on TikTok is what is making money rather than the seven and a half like really incredible song that someone writes. Yeah um but even on spotify the fact that now they have videos that go with the songs because you can't just listen to music you have to like watch something at the same time Mm -hmm. and i think that we're sort of full you're right but i and i don't want to sound i mean i do want to sound because i am like this but not to always bring it back to capitalism (laughs) like Not to always bring it back to Spotify, but I do think it's a product of living in a a very capitalistic society where we are conditioned to always wanting more. Mm -hmm. And I can never feel satiated with just what is in front of me. I can't just read an article and feel like that's enough. I need a video. I need photos. I can't just listen to music. I have to see a music video that coincides with that. And maybe I'm going to press next already because I'm already a little bit bored. And I think that that is sort of some of the answer of what we're discussing all of this here is Mm -hmm. sort of just this immediacy um and striving for more that is a product of capitalism you just you're, you know that economist maynard keynes wrote around the great depression that we're going to reach a level in which our technology and levels of productivity will make it so that we don't have to work as hard Mm And the opposite has happened. And that's because of capitalism. Because it doesn't matter how fast our machines work. We always want more. We have to be, quote-unquote, more productive. You saw this during the pandemic. Everyone was like, oh, well, I'm going to use this time to be really productive. Yeah. and well, That's
0: exactly what I did. Because I can't me sit alone with my thoughts. Fuck right, you. right. Well, <laughs> and
1: also the way that we measure productivity isn't spending time with our family. Yeah, It's not doing things that don't have monetary value to them Mm -hmm. and i'm starting this phd program in labor relations and labor studies partly because i'm really fascinated by the way that we value or devalue labor for that matter Mm -hmm. and i think that the way that we determine who gets paid or who doesn't is a microcosm of how we treat race and gender and class and all of that um and of course, is differs whether you're in a socialist or capitalist uh, country, and I do think it totally affects the way that people interact with art and just their emotions in general. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I, totally agree. I think um, there's something that I think I know. I heard it from. Pete Holmes' podcast, but I think someone else said it, but it's like we're having our part of the being full but not satiated is like, well, we're having our needs met by things that don't love us. Mm, yeah. And I think that's just like the, that's capitalism. Right. You know? Um, and then the,
1: or you know what it is? It's like this carbonated water that I drink that gives me this false sensation. I have all these bubbles in my stomach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I drink like,
0: so much seltzer.
1: <laughs> me too. I live off seltzer. But it doesn't make you full. It gives no. you a false sensation that you've, you know, with the carbonation. And then you're like, this isn't actually what I want. This isn't what my body wants. It's not what I my body needs. Yeah. But we're tricked, I think, all the time.
0: Well, I mean, sometimes tricking yourself can be really valuable, though. Like, I drink... I drink seltzer because like that's what i replaced beer with Mm. when i quit drinking and it was like it felt similar it's like it's a cold if i can be it social like a lot of part of why i quote unquote abused alcohol which is like to some level i don't think it was like we don't have to get into how bad it was or whatnot but like part was like it's just social anxiety like Mm -hmm. i just like as a nervous tick either smoke cigarettes or, or drink and now that i've like been removed from them for several years, I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't like either of those
1: things. I yeah. never really did. See, that's why I just stay at home. <laughs> huh? That's why I just stay at that's home. That's I, I mean, that's what I like, honestly. <laughs> well, I'm not a musician, so my, <laughs> my, my, my livelihood doesn't depend on leaving the house.
0: Yeah. I'm, I, 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 am starting to find a pretty decent balance, <laughs> I think. Uh, but the, another thing that I've been thinking about and like the labor relations, that's like, where, where are you starting that PhD program? Cooney. Oh really? Mm-hmm. That sounds. I mean, I've. I'll never go back to school again because my undergrad was such a waste of my time and money. But um, that sounds right up my alley. I I, I very much look looking. Ah, I very much look forward to speaking with you about that, or just like talking yeah. about it. Yeah. Well,
1: more. the nice part about a PhD is you can get paid to go back to going back to school. So.
0: Yeah, but I'd have to get grad school out of the way first.
1: <laughs> well, no, I mean you can get a graduate school degree as a like as a part of this as well Anyways, we'll talk the logistics later. Yeah, let's I'll convince you. Because,
0: <laughs> I mean Yeah, we should, I would love to talk more. About
1: I'm that. I'm very anti, you know uh, Archaic academia, but I am pro getting paid to go to school. It feels a little bit like a life hack. So
0: I'm very pro Learning and I'm very pro getting paid while I still exist in capitalism. Mm-hmm. So I think if we could figure it out, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Or I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I guess you don't have anything to do with it. or I don't know. Um, this is something I've been thinking about a whole lot lately. And I'm and I I'm still struggling to, um, to articulate it all. And I think uh, um, it'll eventually be a song or, or uh, I don't know. We'll see. But... I, last summer, my internet went down. I I have an account through Verizon. I also pay Verizon for my cell phone. So between my internet and my cell phone, I spend anywhere from 2 to $250 a month mm-hmm. that I just send to Verizon. It just auto-charges on my credit card. Yeah. Um, my internet went down last summer. I spent 40 hours that week on the phone with or interacting with Verizon techs trying to get my internet fixed. And the whole time, I'm a pretty... Not necessarily a tech savvy person, but I'm just good at fixing things. It's just kind of like I'm good with my hands. Within the first two hours of it going down, I was like, the modem's broken. I needed a mo- new modem. Long story short, I spend 40 hours that week trying to get them to finally send me a new modem. They finally do. That modem's broke too. And I was like, you send me another faulty modem. I get the third one and it works. My internet hasn't had a problem since. Yeah. Long story short, uh, I keep saying that it's a long, long st- All my stories are long, long story, long, long story, long, because <laughs> it's one of Chuck's stories is that like at the end of all of this, I'm like, OK, you all just wasted a, a work week's of my worth of my time. I spend all this money each month to like pay for your services. Like, how are you going to make it up to me? They <laughs> offered offer me a twenty dollar voucher? Uh huh. That was the best they could do.
1: When you said, like, was this over customer service email or were you on the phone and you literally said word for word, how are you going to make it up to me?
0: Literally. I was on the, on phone. the phone.
1: I love that. Okay. I was.
0: No, I was just like, you've wasted so much of my time when four days ago I was like, just send me a new modem.
1: Right. You knew.
0: Yeah. So and the, the best they could do is $20, $20 voucher on my next bill. Mm hmm. And so this I'm going to all... say this
1: to every like bad customer service experience I have. How are you going to make this up to me?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, not to be all Karen, but like, I want to speak with it. your manager. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so. $20 but...
1: is better than none.
0: It's better than none. That's true. But, but
1: what... does $20 equate to 40 hours? I don't know about that.
0: I don't know either. It, it became like a joke. My roommates were like, Chuck's still dealing with the internet. They're all just like, fuck it. We don't have internet right now. And yeah. I'm like, this is my personal mission to get us a new damn modem. <laughs> and, uh, but I think this is like, for me, a great example or microcosm of like what capitalism or what has done to like our society is it's it stripped all the value out of any sort of service by pinching pennies anywhere they could to where it takes me an hour to get anyone on the phone with a billion dollar corporation. Yeah, It takes me... Hours and hours and hours to like be like, yo, you just send me a new fucking modem, you know, and they just squeeze every penny out of any possible juncture that they can to appease their stockholders. Mm -hmm. And that's that's how our economy works. And everybody's wondering why, like, it's like nothing works because the value has been stripped out of everything. Right. And then then you expect the company to, like, have your back as an employee like I, I don't or I don't know customer, exactly or a customer for that matter or a customer yeah. or or like anyone who isn't a stockholder. Yeah. And so I don't I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say but this is like like I said earlier I'm like trying to articulate this and turn this into like it's like for me it's a microcosm of like the whole fucking problem.
1: Well, and you're lucky that for you it was just the internet. I mean, you can also I think draw a parallel with the heat wave a couple of weeks ago, where ConEd turned off the turned off electricity in some of the poorest neighborhoods in New York, and that's not a coincidence. That,
0: they didn't turn it off in Times Square.
1: No, they didn't turn it off in the penthouses that probably have ten air conditioners running during the heat wave. Yeah, and um, very similarly, like you're very unimportant to them. Your modem is probably the last thing on their list of things to do or to appease, mm-hmm. um, and. I think we see that in many ways, which is why we get people who are voting for people like Trump because they're tired of these broken systems. They're Mm -hmm. tired of being forgotten. They're tired of being the last on everyone's list because there's only one or two people that are on top of everyone's list. And those are the people that have a lot of money and stake or shares in whatever it may be. And... There are many reasons why people voted for Trump, some of which I will never understand and I don't really want to understand, but for the ones that I actually have compassion and understanding for, it's people like that who mm-hmm. truly feel like their very well-being is has been totally washed away and forgotten, and uh-huh. they are lost in the soup.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I think that's... Uh...
1: Probably how you felt. And so if there's someone who comes around that says, hey... Fuck the system. I'm gonna help you you specifically all you forgotten people. Yeah I might feel like I wanted to vote for that person too if I had been forgotten felt if I had felt disenfranchised and Looked over my entire life.
0: Totally. No, and I I get that and I think um I have a lot of a lot of people from back home that the first time around voted for Trump And then the second time didn't then there's plenty of people from back home that voted for him both times Mm -hmm. uh Because but like the first time it was like, yeah, we need a non politician in there They were like, it's like my stepdad would have voted for Bernie before he would have voted for Hillary or Biden Yeah, and I don't think he voted. He says he didn't vote for Trump either time Which makes me think he voted third party because like he was never gonna vote for Hillary Clinton I don't I think that's some really I mean going back to language. I think that's just a real problem with women yeah. Um, you know, and my stepdad, I think he's one of the most morally sound human beings I know, fitting into this patriarchal system. Um, so but no, I think you're totally right. That's like the Trump thing. What? what I mean, what sucks is like why? <laughs> And this is, I'm not specifically asking you for an answer, but like, why is it that that always bends towards fascism? Because that's, that's, yeah. that's fascism. Like that's, you know, like a strong man coming in and saying like, I'm going to take you back to this better, re- this, yeah. this imagined fake past that where everything was great, where it's like nothing's ever been great, but I'm going to, I'm going to make things the way it was. And I'm going to do that through like a strong hand. Like that's, that's how fascism takes over. Yeah. I
1: think... Why is it
0: never like, why, why, why didn't Bernie?
1: Yeah well i mean the oh god i don't know it's so fucking scary but i i think one of one of the things is that what america is best at is forgetting its history so this idea of let's make america great again when it never was great we that's what like that's what we're pros at Mm -hmm. we we forget about slavery we forget about a financial crisis and we just yeah we just repeat 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 and um i think that it's really easy for politicians to whitewash that type of thing and and play on on that forgetfulness and it's 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 purposeful you don't want to forget something that's you don't want to remember something that's painful or paints your country and pe- and people in a bad light and that's also that's natural but it's also a product of you know other countries around the world they have like um, truth and peace like reconciliation services or they have more memorials to things we just have memorials to wars pretty much mm-hmm. we don't have memorials to the genocide we inflicted upon native americans we mm-hmm. don't have memorials to all of the people that were lynched like
0: yeah we, we have uh, sorry mount rushmore which is like, not only is that not a memorial to Native American genocide, it's on Native American land. Right. And it's, it's portraits of genociders. Right. That's fucked, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, sorry. to. That's... No, but I
1: think, so I think to answer part of your question, it's because we're good at forgetting the bad parts of our history. And that this country was founded on exceptionalism. And that's what we, that's what we're good at, at thinking that we are above the law. That's why we elect people who literally think that they live above the law.
0: Well, our elected officials get away with, breaking, mm-hmm. I mean, insider trading all last year. It's yeah. like, nobody's been in trouble for that. Had I been the one to do any of that, I'd be in prison right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this was a really uplifting conversation. I'm so, Should no, we this, turn it? Let's talk about your tour. Um, no,
2: <laughs> let's, uh...
1: What's your favorite city you're about to... Actually, I am interested in the way that you might... Change how you play in front of an audience some of the comments that you might make I don't know if you make like political Comments mm-hmm. or jargon. I know that all musicians kind of have to like, you know, work the stage and, the crowd That's in front of you. Yeah, yeah So how does that change when you know that you're when you're playing in like a more classically conservative place versus You know, new york city or brooklyn Do, um, you, do you change your demeanor your affect?
0: I definitely like
1: you get an accent
0: yeah no no that's (laughs) something I was gonna say It's like I definitely will like have a little more twang in my voice in certain places and I think that's just like growing up where I did Mm -hmm. you know like I I grew up around a lot of like like cowboys Mm -hmm. you know and not that I don't think I ever identified as a cowboy and when people started calling me that when I started playing quote-unquote country music I was like nah, I've I've got some friends who would kick my ass if they heard me call myself a cowboy you know but that but it is like when I'm hanging out with them like there's a little more twang in the way I talk or a little bit more like, like I'm I'm a really good chameleon in a lot of ways. And one time my friend Georgia, who um, I know from New York, but she was getting a master's in poetry in Missoula. And so I came through on tour and I was playing a small town outside of Missoula. So she came to the show with me and, you know, the show I played the night before in Missoula is like college town. Is it a VFW? It's like a mixed crowd, but like Missoula is about, as liberal as Montana gets. And then you go like 45 miles outside of town mm-hmm. and I'm playing the show and it's like, it's, um, it's very, very, uh, I don't, I don't like very, very blue collar, very, very, um, country, you know, I don't want to say, you know, very country, I'll say that. And like very much like where I grew up and Georgia saw me, she'd only ever seen me bartend in New York city before, you know, she, and then she sees me talking with these, dudes who's like he's worked on a ranch for 40 years you know and like like i'm one of them and she was just like how <laughs> how do you do that and i'm like well these are these are the people that raised me right this is this is home yeah um so like so i don't feel like it's disingenuous like it's very real mm-hmm. um i am i'm well over a decade removed from living in any of that but you know, I can still frame a house with the best of them. Like mm-hmm. I can still, you know, I can still, I was never great at riding a horse, but like I'll get on any horse you ask me to, you know? Um, so, but then when it comes to like the political stuff, um, it's, I, I never change my set list. There's never, the only song that I'll sometimes not play is I have a song that like, I think is a really cool song. And for me, it's about xenophobia,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but it kind of spawned from a 9-11 joke I came up with, which is like, sometimes you don't wanna play that song in Manhattan. You never know who's gonna be in that crowd. You know what I mean? And it's like, cause like there's a line, it's like the whole idea is like, they control us from fear. Uh-huh. It's, this is my song Six is Scared of Seven. And mm. like the whole idea is like, oh, you're getting controlled by this fear of these other people and they're, and it's like classes of people. Um, and that's what the kind of the number system works out into. But um, there's a line that's just like, don't be afraid of seven, because Bush did 9-11. It's like, and seven's mm-hmm. supposed to be this, I, I say she and I picture just a woman with like a hijab or um, is that what it's called? Sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, that's how ignorant I really am, you know, but um, the, and it, it's just like someone, it was like that guy who attacked these women on a train in Portland and these guys got in the way and he stabbed those two dudes yeah. to death for it. I, I don't remember the names, but that was kind of part of what it's like that you're afraid of this woman because because of this xenophobia spawned by a terror attack that happened right. 20 years ago.
2: Right.
0: Um, and so that's really what that song's about to me. But like, I also feel kind of weird singing those words mm. in Manhattan. Not saying that I haven't. Yeah, but um, I might change the that's something I've been kind of trying to think of for this tour. And there's so much to think about, but I, like, a lot of my songs, like, people have gotten, like, I I liked your music way better when it wasn't so political. And it's like, well, if you listen to my early stuff, like, some of that stuff's, it's not saying as much, but it's saying something. Yeah. You know, it's standing up for, like, uh, LGBTQ rights and, like, it's... Uh, And so I guess what I'm saying is like, I I would really like to have a much more pointed thing to say before or after certain songs and very much more about like, like, you know, we're all here listening to music together. We're all putting aside our differences so we can sit here and enjoy this concert. Right. Um, Let's start from there. You know, let's start from the fact that like, um, that we're all here right now and and it's like it's like the human thing it's like the teenage angst. that's universal enjoying music and feeling something when someone's singing their guts out to you like that's universal
2: right
0: and so let's start from there and like cut out the wash of like republican or democrat or liberal sure. or, yeah. or whatever like let's get rid of that noise and how do we just like understand that like historically the way the elites in this country or anywhere have controlled power and held on to it is by keeping those of us below them fighting with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like I, I, this is something I've really, I've always, maybe not always, but in the past few years, maybe since 2016 is where it changed for me, is like how do I exist as more of like a, a bridge between back home and Brooklyn? Yeah. Because like I'll tell you, back home, there's plenty of people that think very politically very differently than I do. And those, and there's two different types of those people. There's the people that I'm not friends with anymore because they're bigots, because they're racist, they're, you know, because like, I wouldn't be friends with those type of people. And then there's other people that due to lack of exposure have, and lack of language, don't, you know, don't have a, a way to, to communicate their anger. And so they just, well, might as well side with the home team. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like, how do I exist as a bridge for those people? Or how do I, at least at the, at the very least without like coming across as some elitist say like, Hey, how about we look at this a little differently? Mm -hmm. Because I know you're really good people and I know you really care about other human beings, you know? So that's, I don't know. That's something I'm, I'm like, I've been trying to think about in the past few weeks.
1: I think that because you're able to exist in both of those spaces that have very different demographics associated with them, I think that's some of, like, the most important work that you can do is, like, speak to both sides. Um,
0: and the hardest part is just not getting, letting my anger yeah. take over and, and burn those bridges or right. set myself on fire as the bridge.
1: Right. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, no, I think it all, like, it all... And I think that's why we also like started to focus so much on more on local politics. Like I do think that those type of things, as cliche as it sounds, like it starts at home. It starts with like, you know, convincing the crazy uncle that he shouldn't vote for Trump. And those things, as minute as they seem and like as trite as I feel saying this, I do think that or I have to believe that in some form or another, they have a ripple effect. Um,
0: Yeah, well, because we're all a product of our environment. Yeah, like I think I mean what's so frustrating is for years and years and years I would tell my stepdad like well Europe's got universal health care, blah, you know all these things and his response was always how are you gonna pay for it? You know, and it's like it's You're like
1: well, how about that something something billion defense budget that we well, have? <laughs>
0: and you know, he's ex-military and, and like is and you know Unfortunately, the only thing sacred in this country is the military.
1: Yeah um, That and religion
0: well, <laughs> I guess, yeah. I mean, I I lived in Utah for a long time. I was raised Mormon. We could get really into okay, that. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, but, because I like to make the joke, in downtown Salt Lake City, the only... Building that's taller than the church headquarter building is the Wells Fargo building <laughs> And i'm like that's just a perfect allegory for the mormon yeah. church is like, like the Another only thing version that, of
1: god. <laughs> yeah,
0: the only thing that we hold higher than our beliefs is the, the american dollar. Yeah
1: Yeah,
0: um, and if you know much about the mormon church, it's it's sickeningly true mm. um but but like when I was able to finally break down with my stepdad, this is during the election year two years ago, or no, this was a year ago today. Wait, yeah, was, okay, sorry. I'm like, today
1: is August 29th, ninth. Really? Not today, exactly. but like a, a year ago, right around <laughs> now.
0: Um, so this is pre the election. For some reason, I thought the election was two years ago. I'm just so backwards. Um, but he, finally, I heard him say he's like I would consider voting for Bernie Sanders, which is like the most the biggest. When I've ever had talking politics with my stepdad and it never gets angry and it's never like it's usually a really good conversation because like I said he's one of the most morally sound like he quit being a cop in like the late 80s because he refused to meet a ticket quota
2: Mm.
0: you know like that's his dad was a cop like you know what I mean that's what he was going to do is like be in the military then be a cop and then they try to get him to meet a quota and he was like that's that's wrong yeah good for him Um, so you know like he's a pretty sound human when it comes to that stuff and uh but like i finally was able to get through to him because i was like dad the billionaires they're gonna pay for it and he was like oh well they work hard for that money and then i finally i was able to be like you know the difference between a million seconds and a billion seconds (laughs) you know that whole thing and I, i i never remember the exact numbers i need to like commit these to memory but it's like 11 days versus like 30 years
1: right make someone like sit down and wait that amount of time
0: (laughs) no it's yeah it's seriously like and i i was like and jeff bezos has hundreds of billions of dollars Mm -hmm. you know like and he i had him listen to a podcast that was andrew yang talking about like his universal basic income and i wasn't like i'm not like a I wasn't on a Yang Gang or whatnot, but like I really appreciated this specific podcast because he kind of pointed out, like, look at all these tons of transactions going on through Amazon every day, yeah. And you just like add a micro, like, amount of money to each one of those, and you could pay for this, right. you know, and yeah. and that kind of really blew my dad's mind. Like he was like, like I think that really kind of changed his mind.
1: Yeah. No, UBI is a great concept. It's just too bad that it had Andrew Yang. Attached to it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, unemployment for the past year and a half is like, I feel like that was a great experiment in it. And like, Mm -hmm. not everyone got that. And, but like, I mean, look at how the the economy was doomed until it wasn't because of like, essentially UBI.
2: Yeah.
1: I, I do like the fact that so many of my friends who were on unemployment, we're making more money off of that than they were on their regular job. So that to me was like, or something is wrong right now when, when, when that is the case, when there's so many people who are struggling to make it ends meet working over 40 hours a week. And then, yeah, I mean, I think that's a reflection of how we value our labor. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And. Now, yeah we could <laughs> we could go on and on and yeah,
1: on yeah we've started many tangents here <laughs> I, yeah no and
0: i this has been really great and i don't want to go too much longer but there's i would like to branch a little bit okay um or di- like
1: divulge di-
0: yeah let's uh divert, diverge diverge Divert, <laughs> D- divert, change, take a different time. path. Yeah, I would like to change the direction. Okay. of the Okay. Course, the course, minute. the direction. Yeah, let's redraw the map on which we are traveling okay. currently.
1: I've always wanted to be a cartographer, so. Really. Let's talk about I'm, maps.
0: <laughs> I think of, I think of. You ever watched Arrested Development? <laughs>
1: I've seen a few episodes. Yeah. There's
0: <laughs> like, Buster like got a, so he's like a cartographer or whatever, and like someone's like. Well, didn't like everything already get mapped by like Magellan and people mm-hmm. like that? And he's like, yeah, well, they did a pretty good job. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's...
1: Oh, that's the younger brother who's like always doing a different thing yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I just love that. Like, yeah, they did a pretty good job. <laughs> it, was, but... it was all right. <laughs> uh, so let's see. I want to ask you, um, and I'm just coming up with these like right here on the spot. Okay. I love it. Let's so see how it's good like, it speed is. Round. Um. One how old were you when you finally read harry potter? Oh
1: god, okay Um I think I was like I have to I actually remember that I read it out loud to my sisters the entire thing Which is honestly impressive because reading out loud is exhausting and takes a long time.
0: Uh Are you the oldest?
1: I'm the oldest. Yeah. Could you guess?
0: No, I wouldn't have
1: Yeah, i'm the oldest of three. I have two younger sisters. Um I think I was probably like thirteen. Okay, that's a, yeah.
0: yeah. I think I read the first one at like twelve, but that was like right when it like came out. I think yeah, but comedian. I'm a little younger than you. I yeah. think
1: maybe I was a little older, but I just remember most people had already seen it, and like mm-hmm. the movie was either out or coming out or something. Oh, okay, yeah, I was behind. Yeah, that's definitely. Behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was
0: just sorry wondering that was a a very big part of my childhood. I Harry a Potter. Lot of people. Oh yeah. Um, I was like I read it out loud to my little brother and that's how he Like kind of learned to read was changing oh, wow, chapters. Yeah. Like I would read to him. He'd read to me mm-hmm. and whatnot um, So that's like and then for his 18th birthday, we got Harry Potter tattoos and I used to take him to really? the Harry Potter Premiere every year for his birthday because he used to come out in November and mm-hmm. that's like his birthday So that was like it was like kind of our thing mm-hmm. and then JK Rowling kind
1: yeah. of Went off the deep end shit, so, you know. Yeah, I think that you know going back to how the way that I was raised may have affected me. I never really got to, um, I would get attached to ideas or concepts or causes, but never really like things. And I know Harry Potter is so much more than a thing to most people, but I never really had those obsessions. Like I still can't watch a TV show all the way through. I never really like had that fixation on anything other than like an Example of what I became fixated on when I was 11. I did a science project and It was like one of those classic triptych boards where you have your question your hypothesis your like experiment your conclusion mm-hmm. And my question was what was the what's the worst thing for the environment? <laughs> big question Olivia <laughs> for your ten-year-old self and my hypothesis was transportation planes trains cars mm-hmm. yada yada and This was before the internet. I had my parents' A to Z encyclopedia and I read almost all of it. That's the type of child I was. Um, This is why my parents were like a little bit concerned. The number of books they have, like, what to do with a spirited, gifted child? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, guys, I was not that bad. I read this encyclopedia and I concluded that it was eating meat. And so as a 10 year old, I decided I was going to be vegetarian. And I'm still a vegetarian to this day. Wow. And so there were things like that growing up that mm-hmm. I became really fixated on. It was never though. Uh, yeah, like I, unfortunately, like I read Harry Potter. I can't say that I was enthralled. I mean, of course I was enthralled when I was reading it. It's a fantastic series of books, but I was not a fanatic by any means. Yeah. Um, And I think that partly is the way that I grew up. Like things were just... And I still live that life that like things are temporal. Like I really do believe in in non-attachment and that we have to focus on ideas and concepts that can guide us, but not material items quite as much.
0: No, I, I really dig that. I think that there's and this is like a total like armchair hypothesis. And I don't know you at all, but like or the it's like part of like I used to pray that, like, Harry Potter was real just to take me out of my boring, shitty hometown and <laughs> my life. And I could just, like, just, it was escapism. That's, yeah. that's what fantasy is, right. is escapism.
1: Platform nine and three quarters. You wanted to be on that. No,
0: I really did. And I, I mean, I remember, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I really was just like, just get me out of here. Yeah. Um, and not that I had a bad childhood or anything like that. I just felt severely misunderstood. And, like, there was so much more to the world than what I was being made privy to and I think part of that the magic part of Harry Potter that's what that was was like like that's all the mystery in the rest of the world that, sure. that, that I'm not allowed to have or see that's what Harry Potter was totally um,
1: that makes a lot of sense and
0: I you know maybe potentially because your world was so much broader and bigger than mine because like, as, as my world expanded the less I started to believe in magic or religion or God Mm. um, I now have like a much different understanding of what those words mean but I don't know I just wonder if that's you know part, part of why you weren't so fanatic about it is because like you were living in a lot of ways in like the real world and also exposed to like what that magic is and that's like different cultures and different ways of thought and you know at least for me now that's what that is is that that magic exists in like culture and art and like the stories we, we tell and
1: Yeah. It could totally. I mean I don't wanna Yeah. Um Yeah, that could that could very well be the case. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't gotten too Freudian on myself yet, so Okay. <laughs>
0: um do you growing up did was there any sort of religious Ben?
1: Um my father was raised catholic and so is now appropriately an atheist as Mm -hmm. most who were raised ardently catholic are and um my mother actually interesting was raised presbyterian her father was a minister but no religion more was like you you go to a service on christmas for your grandparents type of thing okay we were we were that type of religious um and then I actually have like a strong history of Quakerism in my family, which mm. is interesting. And uh, the times that I've gone to meeting houses, I've actually really appreciated that form of, of religion and honestly just like silence. Um, I'm fascinated by religion. I think one of the reasons why I studied philosophy in college was because I was going to study religion and then felt like it would be more useful to study philosophy. I don't know. Either way, it wasn't super useful. <laughs> um But I do think that the way that people use or abuse sometimes religion is is the way that it's the reason for a while a lot of things happen in this world. Mm -hmm. It's like the, I mean, it's money and religion is the crux of so many things. Yeah. Oil, but that's money too. So. (laughs)
0: Yeah, totally. Well, that's also some people's religion. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I. Yeah, no that's it's very true that I think um like so many people's moral compass is guided by religion and it and it Which seems it's not like, a
1: bad thing. I mean like the principles are good, right? Like treat one as you would another. Like those moral compasses aren't wrong like at, at, if you like really distill them.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I I agree I think the problem is is the filter. Yeah, of course. Is is like, I have a I have a dear friend who um, I I love more than anything, and we we've started to kind of butt heads on certain things that I didn't think that he that we would, and um and it's like, I don't know um. Like, his religion that was like kind of Im- imposed on him via his grandparents and his parents to me, I think, is like, is nothing but holding him back. It's like his, it's his moral guidance. And to me, it's like, it's his reason for living kind of a boring, like not exciting Mm -hmm. life. That's like, and I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I I should probably not get too into it, but. um,
1: We can talk about Harry Potter again.
0: Yeah. Well, (laughs) that time that Voldemort did.
1: (laughs) We had another question. Did you have another question for me? When was the first time I read Harry Potter? was that your diversion?
0: Yeah, well then the religion thing I wanted to kind of see if that cuz like your your writing like is a, about human rights and um is you know very much seems like your your goal is to give a voice to the voiceless in you know to to say a cliche I guess but uh um and I was wondering if there was any sort of like mm. religious or like where that moral compass comes from.
1: Yeah, there's no religion behind it. Um, yeah, it's all—it's pretty. I mean, to I, I shouldn't discredit my parents by any means, um, or my grandparents for that matter. Mm-hmm. I, I come from a family that's always been involved in this type of work, um, but I'd like to think a lot of it is kind of just self-motivated. I don't. I can't. I can't. Pinpoint any reason it just feels a part of me, you know, those Uh moments when you feel angry or super depressed and you wish that you could identify Why? Uh Sometimes I wish I could identify why I feel the ways that I do until I realize that that's just who I am and to try and Differentiate it or identify it would sort of be doing a disservice or maybe a futile practice in and of itself.
2: Uh
0: Yeah,
1: sorry. That was kind of a cop-out. <laughs> no, I think it's,
0: it's an answer though. You know, I'm not I'm not sitting here like demanding some form of like objective truth.
1: When did you write your first song?
0: Um My first song was
1: About harry potter
0: No, it was about the great gatsby actually really yeah. wow as a final project on our section of like ap english on the great gatsby it was like freshman or sophomore year. Wow. Um, the The final project she let us do is like, I want you to do anything, like that, anything that gets you excited mm-hmm. about this. And I was like, I'd been playing guitar for a number of years, but I'd never written a song. And so, and like Gatsby hit my, like my just, yeah like just my hopeless romantic self just <laughs> right in the chest, it was just like a kick to the, so tip. it
1: wasn't it was wasn't the opulence, it was the romance of the story, oh yeah, yeah,
0: i mean i unfortunately, like identify with Fitzgerald's writing way more than especially as a young man, like probably more than was good for me mm. um and like I mean, yeah. And, and I think it's just that hopelessness. Like mm-hmm. this side of paradise, really, just kind of also did that for me. Like the, like, in a way, just like chasing something you'll never get. Right. Um. It's it's really inherently kind of sad. Um,
1: and capitalistic.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. You're <laughs> very right about that. Um. I didn't think about that. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's why Gatsby kind of.
1: So you wrote a off. song about the book.
0: Yeah, it was kind of like about like Gatsby and like and Daisy, and, like, you know.
1: Did you use You and I in it, or no?
0: I don't remember.
1: Just to bring it back to your more recent song.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. I, uh...
1: I hope you used First Person when singing about Gatsby. I think I did.
0: (laughs) I think it was You and I. It's been... I mean, I was, like... I don't know if I had a driver's license at this point.
1: I think we need to pull that one back up.
0: I don't know where I would find it. Like, (laughs) this is pre-internet. Like, I... Unless yeah unless is, unless Miss Peterson happens to have like that paper somewhere which like she taught for like 30 plus years why would she have mine she
1: might those are the type of teachers that keep everything
0: no that's true and she's like she was one of those teachers that like people would come back from college and be like you're the only reason I'm like where I am yeah Yeah. you know and like I got yeah no and I, it's true for me college for me was very much like just more high school. Hmm. Um, ex- Where'd you go to college? The University of Utah. Um, it was just more jumping through hoops. Like, I, I've like, and I'm not, like, I, I don't mean this as a brag, but like, nothing's ever been difficult for me as far as like academics. Like, I think more that, more so that people never really challenged me much. Hmm. You know, like math got to a point where it's like this is way too abstract. Like I passed like calculus and was like I don't want to do any more of this. And I passed calculus because my buddy Riley really helped me out <laughs> with it. Um, but yeah, no, college was like the the biggest, the most difficult part of it was like working multiple jobs while going. Mm-hmm. But then what I really liked about it was the writing aspect, and I think Miss Peterson kind of helped me out. Like I was, I didn't have like a focus, but like. It, screenwriting was like kind of the focus and uh yeah and I think the reason I excelled there was partially because she helped me like really understand how powerful my words could be
1: yeah you should have Miss Peterson on this podcast
0: I really should that's actually a great idea
1: call that lady up
0: yeah so
1: did you perform the song in front of your class yeah I did was that that was terrifying. the first time I'd ever
0: performed. Not Maybe not the first time I'd ever performed, but like...
1: Accompanied by a guitar or what? That was the
0: first time I'd performed like with a guitar by myself and uh-huh. sang in front of people. It was Miss Peterson's... Maybe it was sophomore AP English.
1: And how was it received?
0: Very well, actually. Cheers. I got an A-plus on it. Standing um,
1: ovation? Wow.
0: Yeah, I don't know if there was a standing <laughs> ovation. Um, but I, think, I remember Miss Peterson saying like... Uh, what did she say? She's like, that sounded like the, like a, as good of any song I hear on the radio on my drive to school every morning. Wow. And I was like. What a good teacher. That was so She's not even cool. your mom. She yeah. didn't even have to say she that. She didn't have to <laughs> say that. What a sweet lady. She's also like, it's funny because some people be like, Miss Peterson wasn't a sweet lady. She was she was a hell of a teacher, but not a sweet lady. Right, like, right. You know, one of those. But she also, like, as far as my understanding of human rights, that, that came from her because she would do this really intense, like, section on the holocaust every mm. year and that was like and like coming from a place that now probably has more deniers than not yeah you know it's like that was really valuable work that she did in that town
1: yeah sounds like a phenomenal lady
0: yeah she was um is i'm pretty sure she's still with us um <laughs> well all the more we're... reason to call her up <laughs> yeah seriously maybe i'll try and look her up when i'm in town in a few weeks um,
1: yeah, good luck on your tour.
0: Thank you. I, I I appreciate that. I would love to talk with you more about getting paid to go to school. Yes. Down, down the road.
1: And everyone look up Charles Ellsworth's tour dates if you're looking to see him live.
0: Well, if they're listening to this, they, they're probably already. Been they're the, bombarded with. That. Yeah, the 10 people that listen to this probably yeah. already listen to my.
1: It's <laughs> like NPR where you're like, you're asking me for my money again, but I just love this so much. I can't get off. Yeah,
0: I, I'll give you some more money. I'll, I'll take another sweatshirt. Yep. Um, let's see if there's anything else I want to ask you. Um, what's something right now... I'm, I'm going to do a two-parter to end it. If oh you my mind.
1: gosh, I'm getting nervous.
0: Isn't No, I think this will be a really fun question for you. Okay. What's something you have planned in the next year that you're very excited about? And two what's something you see going on in the world that makes you much more optimistic than this conversation would lead someone to believe?
1: Mm, Yeah, we've talked about nihilism. Okay. Um,
0: (laughs) If nihilism is that thing that gets you excited, then wait, is that nihilism? Does that work?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, Something in this next year that I'm excited to do. So I just wrapped up uh, directing a documentary in Mexico about, we didn't talk about that at all. For the next time. Um, it's about a mobile cinema um, that began in the nineteen forties and it is now a permanent fixture in a small rural town in southwestern Mexico. And I'm I'm aiming to have the documentary done um by November. And my intention is premiering it at the cinema where it all began. So kind of bringing it full circle. Oh, cool.
2: Um,
1: that's something I'm really excited to do before the year ends. And, um, something that makes me feel optimistic. This one is harder.
2: (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, it is
1: hard. (laughs) Um, wow. I mean, We're living in a weird, like, this has been a rough week between Afghanistan and Haiti, and I've been feeling a little bit um, more down, but I I do think that I've had multiple friends and family members that I know who have um, signed up to uh, either house someone who's come from Afghanistan in the past week or two, or who has worked really hard to get a family out, myself included, And I think that that type of um, dedication and compassion that I see in a lot of the people that I have around me is forever inspiring. Um, And so I don't know if it's so much like a movement as much as it is like glimpses of of people like you, of um, other individuals in my life who, yeah, really just inspire me.
0: Mm -hmm. Look for the helpers. Yeah, it's, I think that's more mr. Rogers.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so fun fact about mr. Rogers and then we can wrap this up is Um, the mailman and mr. Rogers I don't I can't remember what his name was in the show But um in real life. He was a Spiritual choir director at my college. I went to middlebury college in vermont really? And um, I joined the spiritual choir because I Dealt with a lot of depression living in in middlebury vermont and the the school therapist told me that i should try square dancing which did not work for me and so second was spiritual choir and i did join strange lineup yeah it was i mean i was very anti-medication so these were the alternatives to you know (laughs)
2: dancing or prozac um
1: yeah and i didn't go with the zoloft so um, I joined the spiritual choir, and it actually really did help my depression. It was incredible. I am not a singer by any means, um, but the choir director, who goes by diva daddy, um, was Mr. Rogers' like secondhand man on the TV show. That's really what he's famous for. Um, That's amazing. So I grew up knowing Mr. Rogers, and and if you... Uh, you don't really like focus too much on anyone else other than Mr. Rogers, but if you rewatch it, you'll see this guy who's always coming in and out, and he's the postman. Mm-hmm. And it was my college choir director. <laughs>
0: that's amazing. Yeah, I, that's really cool. I was just bringing up Mr. Rogers a bunch. I
1: know his name is Francois Clemens. Francois. Yeah, fan, phenomenal guy. Hell yeah! Yeah, that's really. Cool. You should have him on this podcast. Actually, I, I
0: mean, if I'm ever in Vermont, I will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to. We could even do it Him over the Him and Mrs. Peterson. I yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, I would love to do an educator's, like, you know, section or... Or, you know what I mean? Just yeah. Because I think that's... I have a sister and brother-in-law in education and mm. aunt and uncle. And it's like, I think... Yeah, if you're, you want people that are somehow optimistic and still, like... Yeah, I guess optimistic about the future. It's like, to be an educator, you'd have to be. Oh, yeah. You know, to be like, I'm going to... Work jobs that aren't really super valued in this mm-hmm. society just to help try and mold the future right that's, if that isn't like an optimistic outlook, I don't or if that doesn't require one I yeah don't know what does
1: and to those who did it over zoom for the past year, my God yeah oh, yeah
0: yeah thank you all all you educators out there, thank you <laughs> and to all my former teachers, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, could you just really quick tell folks where they can find your work or, or you know if you have any pluggables or anything that you want to yeah I like guess I know the about.
1: easiest I do have a website poorly designed by myself um, and that's just my name uh, www.oliviaheffernan.com. um otherwise I am on Instagram and very poorly on Twitter um, but most of all you can just email me that's usually the easiest way and my email is discoverable on my website so Um, that's pretty much it I try and share most things there but I I should get better at it
0: Cool. thanks for
1: having me on
0: thank you so much this is great and I'm so glad we finally got to sit down and have this conversation me too Uh, everyone thanks for tuning in and until next time safe travels bye thanks again for listening to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road Uh, it's been a pleasure we love you Head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth so you can figure out the best way for you to directly support our show. Beyond that, until next time,
2: take care.